1: up war report family we are back with another great edition of building Report. it's been a while so we decided to come back with a splash and bring in mr cole Cublet joining us to talk a little auburn football auburn has had a lot of changes cole's gonna give us his thoughts cole thanks for joining us man
2: hey i'm always glad to be with you guys i appreciate
1: you having me on again hope all's going well yes sir cole i want to get kicked off talking about Auburn hiring coach Hugh Freeze. Uh, You haven't been on, so we haven't had a chance to get your thoughts directly. You know, this was a hire that was somewhat controversial, uh, but after the press conference, I think most agree that coach Hugh Freeze is a good culture fit. What are your thoughts on Auburn hiring coach Hugh Freeze out of all the candidates that they had on the board?
2: No, I I I think culture fit, you nailed it. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he's going to be out there. He'll he'll be at basketball games, gymnastics meets. He's going to be in the community talking to folks he understands that part of it he gets it and that's just i mean i think that's kind of part of his personality and and i think that's the auburn community will 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 love that and and embrace that um you know the you mentioned controversial for me i you know the that that kind of stuff i i would be a complete hypocrite if i said that something that happened in in my past should hold me back from having other opportunities and getting second third fourth hell i'm on probably my 20th chance um, so I'm, I'm always a fan of people being able to battle back and better themselves. And I think there's a lot of few that has done that. Um, and then if you did your due diligence on some of the things at Liberty that people wanted to try to bring to the surface, I think you would have an understanding that that's not something that should have kept Christopher Roberts and John Cohen from making that higher. Um, maybe not the best judgment all the time. Uh, and I think you would probably admit some of that, but it, not something that you would look at and say, okay, you absolutely can't make this higher. Um, you know, and then, you know, the recruiting stuff nowadays, it, none of us are going to look down on that and say that, oh, that's a big problem because of where we are with mm-hmm. Um, He's got a great offensive scheme. He's got, obviously, knowledge of working inside the league, knowledge of the other coaches, teams, programs in the league. Geographically, he knows the landscape. I mean, he's been... In Jonesboro, he's been in Memphis, he's been in Oxford. So, you know, now maybe even has widened his recruiting base, you know, going up the East Coast a little bit. So he, he's going to be tied in to some guys that know how to coach ball. He's going to put a good staff together. I think he has put a good staff together. And I think the most important part of it, guys, is that, you know, he is, he is accepted. He is, he is, I don't want to say the chosen one, but he's the guy that the top of the totem pole wants and wanted. Yeah. So we, we hear, you know, this all started with Brian Kelly at LSU, alignment, alignment, alignment. And so we heard him say that like a hundred times at his introductory press conference. And now we all use that term, but it's a, it's a fair term. It's an accurate term. And I think it's a term that a lot of athletic departments are striving for or trying to find or wish they had. And that alone is going to give Auburn a lot of alignment. Um, you know, the things happening behind the scenes, the and ifs, buts, the what ifs, the, you know, who's that all that should go away, or at least a large portion of it should go away. And I think Hugh Freeze walks into a great situation. We we know what Auburn is. We know how awesome the place is, how wonderful it can be, uh, from a football perspective, how wonderful the town, the city, the school, the people are every day. And you got a brand new football facility that you walk into a passionate fan base. That's hungry to win. That's ready to win. And you got an NIL program that gets it and understands it. And um, the people who are, who are behind that right now are, are pure geniuses. Uh, mm. The men who are running on to victory are, are guys that, I mean, no offense to Auburn Athletics are on to victory. They should probably be doing a lot more important things in life than this because they're that smart. They're that intelligent. They could probably solve a lot of the world's bigger problems if they were asked to. But I'm pumped about what they're doing and the fact that they're behind it and they've gotten it to where it is. And there's good synergy between them and Coach Freeze. So all things point to this really being able to work. Now it just comes down to personality, being relentless, and, and going out there and trying to outwork your competition. Which going against Kirby Smart and Nick Saban every year is not going to be easy.
1: All right. Uh quick follow up. Uh, you you mentioned Hugh Freeze is the guy at the top of the totem pole and the guy they wanted. So was the Lane Kiffin height real? Yes. At all? It was real. Yes. Okay.
2: hundred percent. I, I don't know how else to say. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the interest on his part was also real. So that there, there's a certain, there's a certain fan base, a little West. is not going to want you to believe that, but yes, it was. <laughs> yeah.
0: So Cole, we, we had an opportunity to talk to Brett Whiteside uh, over uh, on the victory. I agree with you 100% about his leadership over there. Um, but Mentioning all the things that you did about what is going right for Auburn as a program as far as the atmosphere and the alignment, what do you feel like success is going to look like in year one for Coach Hugh Freeze for the fan base to feel like, okay, we definitely got this right? What what's kind of like the low water mark? I don't I mean of course, you know, everybody's gonna tell us national championship in year uh-huh. one is where we ultimately wanna be. That's ridiculous, right? But what's what's the low water mark to say, okay, this is going about how we thought it should go?
2: The it's it's difficult to say sometimes because and I've said this millions of times I hate playing the the number game of seven wins eight wins mm-hmm. to keep a job or satisfy a fan base or be acceptable you know we talked a lot uh, on my radio show with McElroy this morning we had a long conversation about Florida and how we don't really think that they're going to go to eight nine ten wins so what becomes satisfactory and right. I just think you have to have a bigger viewpoint. Of everything that's taking place so I would start with the fact that recruiting has already turned into a positive direction both from the high school perspective and from the portal and positions of need have been greatly addressed offensive line defensive line and even if it's not guys who are going to come in and be day one all-american starters you know 20 tackles for loss or you know up for the Remington award you, you have guys that can come in and compete have played high-level football, understand the physicality, what it's all about, and that had to be done. It had to be done, and it has been done to a certain extent, potentially will be done more so. That has to make you happy about what you see and, and how things are trending. Then I think when you get to the season, are you competitive? Are you able to move the football? Do you see player development in a lot of different positions? Quarterback's going to be the main one. Uh you know there's been a lot of guys that have had conversations about whether it's been Spencer Sanders, Devin Leary, whoever else you want to throw into that mix that for whatever reason it hasn't taken place. So now it comes down to Robbie Ashford. Mm-hmm. I think regardless of wins and losses, if people see a lot of development in Robbie's game, that's going to satisfy a lot of people in and of itself. Mm. Uh and then I just think if you see tenacity, energy, physicality, being competitive in games, I I, you never accept a loss, but if Auburn's competitive against Alabama and Georgia, I think fans are going to look at that and say, okay, things are heading in the right direction. If there are not a lot of mistakes made from turnovers, penalties, things like that, guys jumping off sides, your receivers dropping passes. If you see development and forward progress from individuals, position groups, sides of the football, again, alignment really. And truly it, it, it applies to football as well. Mm -hmm. You know, our guys on the offensive line on the same page, are they busting assignments? You know, uh, are we busting coverage? Do you see receivers running 20 yards downfield wide open? I think fans will take a little bit of all of that into consideration. And then you have sort of the, you know, the fans that view it from, you know, 1,500, 2,000 feet. And they're going to say, okay, you didn't win the West or you didn't win 10 games. So it's really not a great year. That doesn't mean that it's heading the right direction to me. I think the majority of Auburn fans are a little more intelligent than that. And they'll be able to look at a lot of the things that I brought up. And if the majority of those are heading in the
0: right direction, they'll view year one as a success. So it should look a lot like really the last four games of last year under Cadillac, where you saw it look like, oh, this is an actual team now. We're moving in the right direction. We're seeing progress, except maybe with a little bit more progress from the forward uh, passing game, right? Like actually being able to throw the ball a little bit more. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. and And I think that's one of the things when you bring Hugh Freeze in, is and I saw Mike tweeting about this yesterday or the day before. Is you expect quarterback development like that's that's you know it it would have been the same thing with Lane Kiffin with Steve Sarkeesian. You know there are certain coaches that you you when you go hire Kirby Smart your defense better look better right or else it's going to be oh shit what do we do why do we bring this guy in like this, this exactly this is this isn't what we asked for so I think that comes with Hugh because he's got a proven track record of taking a Bo Wallace and making him one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people were banging on Bo Wallace's door to come be their guy. He turned into a great college football player. We saw Malik Willis in a spring game and saw the athleticism and saw the ability, but we didn't see it come together as a quarterback. You know, Hugh puts him into the draft as as one of the best available. Uh, So I think that's just going to be a larger portion of it because of who he is, what he's done, and – quite frankly, how important that position is right now. So when you go get Hugh Freeze, you have an understanding. We want to be ahead of the game at quarterback because that's what his track record is, and he's been successful with that. So Robbie Ashford takes a couple of big steps. I think there's a lot of people that aren't even really looking that much at wins and losses. They're saying, okay, look what he did with this guy. He's going to help us win now and think about what he can do for us down the road.
1: Uh, let's stick here at quarterback uh, since you you went there. Um, Robbie Ashford you know, is the incumbent right now. Uh, You know, uh, TJ Finley is going through workouts with the team this spring, uh, but I think most would probably agree Robbie is a better fit for what he was going to probably want to do on offense next season. Now, uh, during his introductory press conference, Cole, there was one player there, and it was Robbie Ashford, right? Uh, In your opinion, is this right now Robbie Ashford's job to lose? And, you know, um what are the chances that auburn brings a uh a, a transfer quarterback in in the second portal period that has a chance a realistic chance to win the job
2: i'll I'll answer the back half of that first i, th- I think you're you're almost running out of options but we also know at, at the end of the spring when guys find out they're the starter not the starter a lot of different things are going to open up there's gonna be a lot of doors that open up there so if you're just talking about what's available now I think you're sort of running out of options of guys who would come in and you'd say, okay, he's going to be Robbie out. He's going to be the guy. Right? Um, could Spencer Sanders have been that guy? Maybe. Uh, guy's got a lot of ability and he's been really successful. Grayson McCall, possibly. Uh, I still think there are things Robbie can do that he's not capable of. But from a passing perspective, he may have been your best option. Same thing with Devin Leary. If he's healthy, he probably goes out and wins that job, or at least has a good chance to. Uh, once you've gotten past those names, I I don't know who else is gonna be there that has that potential. So to answer the first part of it, I do think it's Robbie's job. Uh, I, I think that Hugh looks at what he's capable of. And I think that there are a lot of there are a lot of similarities between where Malik was when he got him and where Robbie is when he's getting him. Just from a mm. developmental standpoint, how raw they are, what parts of their game are strengths and what parts of their game are weaknesses. And he probably sits back and says, "We can take some of these steps. I've done it before." Uh, I think Robbie's eager to learn. It was one of the things that I was most impressed hearing about him that I that I knew or had heard about him going in to when I went to a couple of practices last spring and I talked to Brian about him. And then when we covered the spring game and I had more time to sit down with him and talk to him about him, is what Robbie did on his own. And because you guys remember, we were in spring last last spring and he wasn't really. I mean, it was Calzada Finley, and like mm-hmm. maybe Robbie could be a guy who helps you situationally. Right. But right. like he's the one that went and made that happen. Um, so I, I think that part of him wanting to learn, having the ability to learn, having the ability to grow. Are there, do you see things like the old miss game with the attitude on the sideline that you kind of want to say, hey, man, I'd like to see you be a little more presidential here. You're the quarterback of the team, but he's young. He hadn't done it a whole lot, he hadn't been through things like that to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to act like that again, or I'm going to handle myself better next time. So you think the next time around, he would be able to do that. And then the other part too, is, I mean, I talked to a lot of the guys out there at Oregon when he, when he made the announcement, he was coming to Auburn and I didn't believe, or I didn't know. And I don't think a lot of people knew how little football he actually played. I don't even mean right. teams. I mean, practice reps, like he wasn't getting two and three reps consistently. That, that wasn't happening. Right. Um, you know, actually being able to healthy enough to go through off season practices, you know, off season workouts from a quarterback perspective. I'm not talking about going there and doing power cleans and running, but as a quarterback would training per se, and then doing that in pads, he just didn't do a lot of it, you know, and he missed some of his senior year. So my point is he hasn't played a ton of quarterback. Right. There is a there is a massive amount of potential and growth still left in him to be able to go find. Those are the reasons I would say right now it's his. If you had a solidified starter at a power five school or even a group of five school had, who had exceeded sort of the, the group of five level, could he come in and maybe push? Yeah, maybe be more capable of managing an entire offense right now, possibly. But I also think that you know we see the the portal is out of control in so many different ways, and and one of the ways is, and I feel like we'll probably get to this with some guys in a few minutes. A lot of us as college football fans, it's so exciting just to see a guy's name go in that we all of a sudden think they're the solution to all the (laughs) problems. So-and-so's in the portal. He comes start for us right now. Well, a couple of things there. One, not all the time. Most times, there's a reason a guy's in. For sure. Two, if a guy's in and hasn't played, what do we even know he is? Right. Right. I'm not banging on Walker Howard. Walker Howard goes in today. He was two of four this year. right. I don't know how many problems he's solving after Jackson Dart's done at Ole Miss. I, I haven't seen him, so I don't know. So we get so excited, and we get like we ramp up as because it's still new to everybody. The portal's new to everybody, but I, I think oftentimes we we that's not the answer to all your problems. But you still have to go get guys. You have to get bodies. You have to get people to come compete and look at what Kirby Smart's done. I mean, go back the last five years and just look at the amount of quarterback talent that he has brought to Athens, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And some never played, some transferred, had the job, decided mm-hmm. to leave. You know, other guys had the job, started Dwan Mathis, and then couldn't hang on to it. Right. So he Kirby is almost just, hey, I'm gonna go grab as much quarterback talent as I can and we'll figure it out. Because some of them are gonna leave anyway. Right. right. Justin so Field. I don't look at, yeah, I don't look at Hugh and Auburn searching for a quarterback in the portal, saying, oh, Robbie Ashford can't be the guy. We need to find somebody else. Like I don't, that doesn't say that to me at all.
0: So, I, I mean, let's stick here for a second because the guy I feel like is being disrespected the most, which I think Robbie Ashford has been disrespected a lot with a lot of this fan narrative about we need a starter, day one starter. But why why is Holden Garner not getting any respect at all? Because if if you I believe agree, Walker Howard can be the solution. The portal.
2: I mean, if if Holden Garner hit the portal, there would be certain fan bases that have to have a quarterback. They'll be really excited about it. For sure. Oh, this kid signed at Auburn. He can come help us right now. We we, we haven't seen enough of him to really know.
0: Well, that's my point. Like, if Walker Howard hasn't played a single down, but you think that he can be the savior of your program, why can't Holden or be a guy that can push Robbie Ashford in?
2: Because Walker Howard is an inch or two taller and had an extra star by his name. That's the only reason. That's it. Because we haven't. You're right. We haven't seen any more of him or any other of one or the other. We have no idea. So, I think it's. I think it's good for him. Like, keep sleeping on him and he's going to get reps in the spring they're all going to get reps in spring because he's going to want to see what they can all do so right. i don't I, I don't think that there's zero chance that he can compete for or potentially find a way to get playing time or even just end up being the backup which i know a lot of kids don't like that today but how many quarterbacks have we seen over the last few years yeah, a couple of them that were in new york by the way this past mm-hmm. year i mean it's crazy to think about Max Duggan didn't start the season right. as a Correct. starter.
0: Yeah, that, that was that New was uh, the Heisman
2: ceremony. The and Morris
0: kid started down there.
2: Yeah, he wins a playoff game. Like, so being the backup quarterback is not near as bad of a deal as a lot of guys think it is.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I agree with you 100%. Um, I do want to get into a little bit of what you feel like we're going to look like from an offensive standpoint and talk about some of the guys that we've gotten in. Let's start with the place that we need to start, the place that Auburn has needed the most help and that is with the offensive line. We've got a lot of young guys that came in in this uh, recruiting class, but we've got a lot of experienced guys that have come in. you got your Dylan Wade. You've got your uh, Gunner Stockton. you got, you got the guys that have come in that people think can push Avery Jones, right, that people think they can push to start immediately. What's your evaluation of the job that they've done thus far along the offensive line, and has Auburn already made an upgrade from where we were last year, Just from a talent perspective, we don't know how they're going to work together. But from a talent perspective, are we in a better place along the offensive line?
2: There's zero doubt. 100%. And two two parts to that. One, you know, I give Hugh and the staff credit for saying we got to go, we just need bodies. So we'll nitpick a couple of these guys as we talk about them. But I'll just say before that, collectively, it's an improvement no matter how you spin it. Okay. Because one, you needed bodies just to compete against one another. There have been multiple scenarios in the last three, five, six years where certain guys kept their jobs. Cause there was nobody else, right? Not playing great football, but there's no one pushing them. There's nobody ready to come in and take their spot. Um, so you just need bodies in general. Uh, I think Jason Caldwell told me that like 2017 was the last year that Auburn signed like three high school offensive line, more than yeah. three in the same class or something, right. something crazy like that. He said, it on, he told us on our show. Yeah. I was like, what? It just made no sense. Um, And then Jake Thornton coming in, too, I think is great. Mm. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Jake. Uh, Jake knows ball. Jake's a good teacher of the game. I think Jake's a really good offensive line coach. And I base that on conversations I've had with Jake and conversations I've had about Jake with other offensive line coaches, Mm. who a lot of them are very high on him, his ability, and what he is going to be and what he is now. So uh, I thought he got a little bit of a raw deal. Previously, and I think that was a massive get for Hugh Freeze. Mm. So we'll run through a couple of these guys. You got to forgive me. I got to cheat a little bit because names I'm not there. Hey,
0: listen, man, I, I keep a cheat sheet. Go for it. If
2: these people if they, who pay attention to college football don't think that we're going to know all these names, it's, I mean, <laughs> the main question I ask for a lot of guys is like, does he have eligibility left? I have no idea. Like, right. he's listed as a senior. He's got three years left. Right. Who, who knows? <laughs> uh You mentioned the Avery Jones kid from East Carolina. Yeah. um I think he can come in and push for playing time very athletic he's got great feet can change direction very quickly he is um he's almost a little too energetic at times he gets a little a little amped up a little excited so he overextends a little bit um exerts a little bit too much energy into certain things that he doesn't have to which he's playing hard so that's not all terrible but he plays out of control a little bit at times i think that's something that's easily harnessed by the way and I do think that he's somebody who can come in and push right now. You don't have a lot of natural centers on that roster. I was
0: about to say, because who else is pushing him for the center spot? Jaleel right. Irvin could right. play. He's played it before. Tate Johnson, uh, that didn't look too good in the spot duty he had yeah. before he got injured. Who else is there that's going to play center? I mean, you got Connor Liu. He's a true freshman. Are you going right. to start a true freshman at center? So he feels like the natural guy to step in and no, play they, that spot. Like you
2: said, they are they're not a lot of natural centers on the roster. So I think he's got a great chance to be the guy. And some people will tell you they think, Connor Lou can come in and push for playing time. I I don't follow high school recruiting close enough to to know that or pretend like I know that. So, um, but I, I do think that that's a good get. And I think he's a guy that can help either way from a depth perspective or potentially come in and play right away. Um, you know, a guy who I think is gonna come in and probably wow a lot of people is the Dylan Wade kid from Tulsa.
0: Yeah. Um He's smart. He, I, I watched his tape. He's really he's an intelligent young man out there on the field
2: he's a real deal. Uh, he is a player. He, he understands the position, technique, fundamentals, how to alter his pass sets, how to take different pass sets. He uses his hands well. He has great body control, and he's got, a, he's got a, an SEC frame right now. Like yeah. he, is, he is an SEC tackle right now. If you ask me, I'd probably say he will lock down the left side right away, and he'll come in, and he'll be the guy. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't think there'll be many questions asked about it because I think physically he'll give you the best presence there. And then I think also he'll be a guy that is just the most talented and gives you the best option as far as going out there and playing. Um, Gunnar Britton from Western Kentucky, I, I would not put him where I would put Dylan Wade. Now he's played a ton of football. That's great. He's played right and left. That's good. He's got some versatility. I think he's got good feet. I think he's pretty athletic, but he overextends a lot. He's a bit of a backbender, gets over out on his toes. Um, you know, you'll see him on the ground a lot in the run game. Guys will yank him and get him to the ground, but he plays the game pretty hard. He's got he's got a mean streak. He's physical. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that gets after it. So I think he's once again we have to go ground level here. He's an upgrade from what we've been talking about the last few years. So he might not be where Dylan Wade is or where I'm going to talk about some other SEC tackles, but he's a guy who can come in and and potentially help you right away. So. I just don't put him where I put Dylan Wade, but if, I mean, if I'm projecting now, you could easily have Britton over at right and Wade at left, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if those are your two
1: tackles starting day one. Oh, uh, quick, quick follow up here, Cole. How important is it for Auburn to develop kind of a natural progression for guys stepping up uh, into their uh, position? Right? They did a lot of shuffling on the offensive line. Right? Uh, I think three different guys played center last year. Yeah, just trying to find somebody who could do. The job. Right. Um, How important is it, you know, to have the natural backup at left tackle step up when a guy gets hurt uh, instead of shuffling your whole offensive line to try to find a combination of guys that can that can play, which is what they did a lot of the last couple of years?
2: Well, I think Jake is going to be more of a I think Jake will be more of a best five. And Mm. so he's not going to have a problem saying if let's say Wade's at left and Britain's at right, Wade goes out, maybe Britain slides over to left and you go that way. And almost you almost have to play that game nowadays because of where we are with the portal because you don't have the natural progression of, okay, Cole, you're going to be our backup center and -and so-and-so's in front of you and then we've got you for three years after that. Or, you know, this guy comes in, I know there's a starter in front of you at left tackle, we're going to rep you at left tackle, when he gets hurt or he leaves, you're the next guy, we've got you for two more years. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't really happen anymore. So I think it's very difficult to say, okay, left guard goes out, next left guard comes in, and that's the only other spot he would come in for. Or you don't move and mix and match when somebody were to go out. Um, I think most offensive line coaches in today's college football have an understanding that you got to get your best five on the field, and you got to have a little bit of cross training. Some guys are going to have to play left and right. Some guys are going to have to play guard and tackle. Some guys are going to have to play center guard. Because you don't, number one, you don't know who's going to be on your roster from (laughs) spring to fall, fall to spring, whatever. So you got to have some guys that not only if somebody gets injured and they go out, if somebody leaves your program and now you got kids that are leaving your program with two or three weeks left in the season. You got kids that are coming to you after they've played in four games and asking if they can be on the scout team and saying, you know, I don't really want to play in a game anymore, but I want to, I'll be on the scout team. If you just, you know, keep me on scholarship and let me eat for free. Like, it's crazy what guys are having to deal with from a roster perspective. And I, I think cross training and being able to utilize people in different places, probably much more important than just saying, okay, we have two left tackles, two left guards, three centers. Here's our emergency center, two right guards and two right tackles. It's just it's almost impossible to operate in today's college football that way.
0: Have you have you uh, seen any tape on the JUCO guy Miller, Xavieron uh, Miller? I have tried to find it. And I can't. I can't find
2: anything. Okay, I mean, yeah, I, was, I, I would find think just by the fact of how many people want him and and you know what he was rated that he's probably got a good chance to come in and compete. Uh, but the reason that I wouldn't say, oh yeah, I would plug him in there, or he would be here, is because I just I haven't been able to see much of him.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, he played tackle in in JUCO. I didn't know yeah. it is and so that's a, that's a question too. You know, you're talking about best five. You know, if you're trotting out the best five, based on what you know right now, is Jeremiah Wright a part of that best five?
2: I would hope so because, I mean, he's my favorite. He's my favorite offensive lineman on the roster. Nah, uh, I, like, I like him a just lot because too. of the way that he plays the game. Yeah, a lot and of nasty. You guys probably heard me. We had the Mississippi State game and, you know, in pass protection, he goes over to help the tackle and gives a full slab into the pass rusher. And, you know, it's, it, he gets a personal foul, which is right. to me just total bullshit. I don't know how you make that call. I right. like it's just it's com- yeah. it happens on almost every time you drop back in some sense or the other. Like some are more violent than others, but how you can sit there and say that you're not if you can't do that, like I talked to Kendall about it after the game. I'm like, bro, if we can't do that anymore, like we pass Pass Pro is completely changed. It's totally different. Yeah. And he's like, no doubt. So um that kid gets after it he's physical he finishes and even the second one that he got where he's driving the guy to the ground yeah i mean you you your coach to play to the echo of the whistle and that's essentially what he was doing like i'm sorry that the guy doesn't like getting dominated but don't get dominated right and it's not going to be a foul so you can coach a little bit of that out of the guy but it's almost impossible to coach a lot of that into a guy and jeremiah's
0: got it so i'll take that every day of the week that's what I like about you know the guys like uh, you know I know you said you haven't really looked at the freshman but I um Braden Joiner and Connor Liu when I look at their tape they've got that they have the I'm gonna take a guy and walk him to the sideline right or you know put him on his back five yards down the field because he's he uh, maintaining blocks because that's what I didn't see a lot of in the Auburn offensive line last year it's like guys would make contact but then They'd be on about their business like the play was over. And it's like, nah, man, put the guy on his butt, man. The, mm. He can't be in the play or make the, the the tackle 10 yards down the field if he's laying on his back. Right. So I don't know. Anyway, you know, you know better than I do, but I'm just saying it just wasn't there, man. You didn't see a lot of nasty. So
1: I was, I'm looking forward to seeing that back.
0: One just last year. It's been a while.
1: Well, Cole, Auburn has brought in a shit ton of linemen. Uh, But they've also got a lot of other positions to evaluate this spring. I want you to talk a little bit about the job this staff has to do, evaluating all this new talent at every position. Uh, You know, how do you manage that this spring? Uh, They've got battles going on. I would say, Ike said this on a a segment we we, we filmed this morning live, Uh, probably the only position coach that's sleeping well at night is Cadillac. Uh, Because he knows who his number one guy is. And, you know, there's probably a clear pecking order there, a running back. Um, The defensive back room is pretty solid. But outside of that, linebacker, there's a lot to evaluate. Defensive line, they brought in a lot of guys. Offensive line, quarterback, you know, uh, they brought in some guys at receiver. You know, how do you get all this done in one spring and decide what your two, three deep looks like?
2: Yeah, it's uh, – and I'll say from from Carnell's perspective too, I think Batty is going to be a kid who really helps. He mm-hmm. um, he can help on special teams. Uh, I had South Florida against Florida last year, and I talked to a couple of guys on that staff about him, and they just said from a from a makeup standpoint, he is exactly what you want in your program, handles himself the right way, hard worker, diligent, and, and obviously he can play. He was productive in, in that offense and had a pretty good game against Florida. So – Uh, I think he's a kid that's going to help. But you're right about most other positions. And it's one of the most, I I think it's got to be the most difficult task. Like we talk roster management in today's college football. Mm -hmm. But I think the most difficult task goes a little bit further than that. And it's got to be chemistry, continuity, like feel, understanding, like team. Basically just team. Yeah, Because you think about my era, and Greg and I have talked about this on our show, Like his era, which was about eight or nine years after me. We were in the dorm. We were eating meals together. We were in the facility. We were hanging out at each other's apartments for two, three, five years. Like we knew everything about everybody right and then all of a sudden, like here comes Ronnie Daniels or here comes Rudy Johnson or um you know, here comes like one of the three or four trans Alex Lincoln that we got and It didn't take you long to get to know that individual because there was only one or three guys on the team you didn't know after the freshman class. Well, now you got all these different characters from different places with different levels of experience and playing ability, and then where they played was probably handled differently from a practice perspective or workout. I just think you have to find as many team-building activities, drills, and things that you can come up with to try to get guys to gain one another's respect to try to get guys to gain trust in one another. And then you begin to build the scheme and then you begin to build the offense and the defense. And you probably won't really start to have those real position battles until you get into the spring, the spring that becomes difficult because there'll be so many reps. You don't want to miss a guy in spring and potentially have him leave because he wouldn't get enough reps and doesn't think he's going to have a chance to win a job. So, you have to be very intelligent with how you divvy up the repetitions once you get in pads, which we've gotten so far away from really letting guys go in pads a lot anyway, it's already difficult. So, the organization of practice, the practice schedule in the spring is going to be critical for Hugh Freeze and his staff because you have to make sure everybody gets the right amount of reps and you know who to give those reps to as practice continues on because you know as soon as that spring practice is over, it doesn't matter who you are, Alabama, Georgia, USC, like you're losing a couple of guys to the portal. You just are, but you have to make sure the ones that you know, you want to keep got the reps that they need and deserve and got enough reps for you to be able to keep them around and hopefully allow them to contribute this fall.
1: Mm, yeah. I mean, I, they, I, they have a mountain of a job in my book to do. Uh, I do want to follow up, uh, kind of contrasting, you know, what we saw last spring. Right. Um, and, uh, you know how poorly was this roster managed last spring you know um and i hate to go back but uh this hire is in direct contrast of the last hire sure um you know uh, so can you speak a little bit on on how what what how you know how you grade the job of the last staff in doing this and 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 why we ended up with Hugh Freeze as coach
2: yeah i think there are a lot of reasons and first and foremost the alignment that I spoke of with Hugh a little bit earlier that was never there with Brian it just wasn't and mm-hmm. wasn't gonna be there and then I think that deteriorated even further when other things began to take place and then you lost a couple of guys from the roster that you essentially needed or had to have and then potentially had a couple of guys maybe in certain spots that, that should have had more time we I wanted every practice so I don't know if it was unfair if one guy wasn't catching enough balls. Or if one guy didn't get enough reps at quarterback, I I don't know exactly how it played out because I didn't see it every day. But I do think that it's important now that you have more people behind the hire that want to assist with the hire, help with the hire, as opposed to maybe just internally want conflict with the hire or not happy with how it went because it didn't go their way. So Mm. as far as just like how how the players and practices and rosters managed I don't know if it'll be I don't know what'll be different and what won't be different because there's there's so many different players or so many different guys, right? Different coaches, and there's a different approach as to how you want to manage things. I mean, the offense is going to carry a lot more tempo. Mm-hmm. Uh, personnel grouping is gonna be a lot different. Like there won't be as much 12 and 13 personnel with this offense as there was in the past. You know, defensive structure will be a little bit different. So different guys will have different chances to play in different spaces. It's all to me, it's, I, don't, I don't even really think that there's a whole lot that ties together with the two because, like, Hugh's got to kind of start from scratch and just say there might be guys that were left behind before, and we want to make sure we don't do that now. And there might be guys who could have helped a little bit more but didn't get the opportunity, and we've got to go find who those players are and make sure they have that, and we coach them up to the point that they're going to be able to contribute against high-level competition.
0: I want I want to pivot for a second and I want to kind of take us back a little bit for you um in the last season you've probably talked about this a lot but we haven't had a chance to talk about it the moment of coach Carnell Williams becoming the head coach yeah. interim and you know you guys shared some special moments out there on the field but just kind of retrospectively looking back over those last four games what was that like for you as a former Auburn player as a friend of Cadillac for a long time being able to be there kind of in that kind of seminal moment for him as the the head coach taking the field the first time and uh, getting that interview, just all of those things.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's always going to be cool to see a former player be able to be in that position. And then to be able to, to see the first African-American head coach at Auburn, be able to do it and get it and then handle it the way that he did was really special. Um, total happenstance that we happened to have the first game. He was kind enough to give us that first interview right before kick. And then gave us even more access the next week against a m Some people didn't like it. I don't really care. I thought it was cool. And a lot of other people did. I thought it was freaking, I was, uh, I thought it was
0: awesome. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was amazing.
2: And you know, I just, the way that the kids responded to him was amazing. And he just, he kind of, you know, he put a lot of things in perspective for us as a TV crew and essentially as fans of college football because that's what we are first anyway. Yeah, and like I'll share a little story with you guys that you know there was a there was a portion of me that became very protective of it. And Tom and Jordan were kind of leaning on me, and I could tell there were some things they wanted to try to dig into, and I was like, "No, we're not going to do that. Like, we're not we're not going to put him on the spot there. We're not going to ask him that." And so, because whenever we have relationships at certain places, we lean on one another. Like we go to Vanderbilt, like we lean on Jordan or when Mullen was at Florida, he and Jordan were really tight. So we would kind of lean on Jordan. Uh, We don't ever really lean on Tom because he's not, he doesn't really do anything. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) But so, you know, they're asking me like, what do you think about this? What about this idea? Should we build this graphic? Should we try to do this segment during the game? And I, I found myself being very protective of all of it. And anything that was like mildly controversial, I would just say, no, I don't think it's a good idea or no what well, I don't want to do that I don't want to put him in that position. And it all kind of changed when we sat down with him there in the rain room, we had our our coaches meetings and we're talking to him about all the different kind of stuff and you know this is the game that you know Carlson was injured and before the A&M game and we asked him about the kicking situation. And now when we close every meeting we ask, all right, where cuz you see like the green line they put on the field now. Where do you feel comfortable for a game-winning field goal? Right, because the producer wants to know: all right, Am I putting that on the on the thirty-two or on the thirty-eight? Like, where in the, end of the game we need to know. And he kind of sat back in his chair, took a deep breath, and I was like, "Oh, geez." And he said, "I'll be honest with you guys, I I don't know." And I immediately thought, like my like my heart kind of sank for a minute, and I was like, "Here we go, like this is this is." going to be a bad look. And these guys are going to like talk about this. And he said, you tell me, have you seen him kick in a game? Hmm. Cause I haven't seen him kick in a game. So if I tell you guys 32 and we get one from 33, like I'm going to probably kick it from 33. He's like, if if we get one from 52, and he tells me he can make it. I might let him go kick it. Like, I, I don't know. I need to, I've seen him in practice, but I don't know what he's going to do in a game. Yeah. And there was, there was a, a, there was a portion of that. The honesty, and and maybe some people would say it's him being a little bit green, um, but there was no coach speak with him. Uh, there were a couple of conversations he and I shared before both games, kind of off the record. That um, I'm not sure a lot of other coaches would have shared with me, or maybe anybody from an information standpoint. But you know, I wasn't going to go share it again if I thought it was something that may have been viewed as 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 negative towards him. Right. But it was just that being very open, being very honest, um, just just having an understanding of, hey, I'm just doing what's best for the players. And if this is an answer that maybe a lot of other coaches wouldn't use or said or said this way, he didn't really care because he honestly thought everything he was doing was what was best for every player on that team. Right. And there are things that I know that he did. There are things that I know that he said that I would never repeat that proved to me that he was doing what was best for every player on that team. So to be able to see all that and have a, a fellow letterman be able to do that, a guy who's already beloved by all Auburn fans anyway, for great reasons. Um, and then for him to share the story with us about, you know, telling his wife and his kids coming home and what the other kids at school said and how cool they thought it was and how proud they were of his dad. Seeing him interact with my kids before the A M and game was awesome. You know, I've, Drug my my kids out there and he took a picture with us and he was all excited to meet him so I'm 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 getting chills thinking about it right now Mm. there are just there are a lot of different things about how that went what that was what that meant that were really cool but I think the one thing that everybody needs to remember is that he was his personality and who he is was a lot of the reason that all that took place right not just that he was a great running back it's it's who he is as a person and how he handled everything that way, that a lot of the things that took place were actually able to take place.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'll say, man. Uh, you know, we are privileged to be a part of the the pressers pregame. You know, during the week and then postgame after the game. Uh, Cadillac's one of the most genuine people that I've ever had the opportunity to speak with in those There's scenarios. No he was just he was just who he was. He he didn't try to, and he said it himself. I'm not going to try to be you know, whatever other coach you got, I'm just going to come in here and I'm going to be me. And that that showed every single time he opened yeah. his mouth in one of those yeah. press conferences. He was just a genuine person. It was a pleasure being able to sit there and
1: feel like you're getting something real back when you're,
0: giving, when you're asking the question.
1: Agreed. Well, guys, I can't think of a better way to end this segment than talking about Cadillac getting a chance to be head coach at Auburn uh, and bringing that special um, magic into the last part of the season, uh, particularly the A&M game where it felt like a championship game. Uh, It felt like a championship atmosphere, and there are not a lot of guys who could do that. Uh, I know Auburn fans are grateful for what he did over the last four games of that season, you know, taking over amidst a firing and and galvanizing the team and keeping everybody together.
2: I mean, we were down there. We were down there before I, I left, so we usually all ride together to the game, and we were staying downtown, and so I... We usually – we like to get there around when the team does, so two hours before kick. And they were going to leave like two and a half hours before kick, and I was just kind of antsy. And I think like three and a half hours before kick, I just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and go, and I'm going to walk. Because I just wanted – first off, I hadn't walked through campus on game day in a long time. Mm. And I just kind of wanted to feel – because you heard that the crowd was going to be good, but you didn't really know. All right, so I'm walking through, and it's tailgates packed, tents packed. People packed. I'm like, this is pretty awesome. And as you guys know, it's kind of a dreary day early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because that—that's another thing that I kind of thought. All right, are just going to push some people away. And I get in the stadium, and the first person I see is damien He's kind of doing his little lap around the field. He comes up and we talk, and he's like, "Cole, they got this many people in here already." And I was like, "D Craig, I think it's going to be packed, man." He was like, "Oh," and then I remember Will Friend walked up to me this is much closer to kick now we're talking probably like 45 50 minutes before kick he, he walks up and shakes my hand and he was like how great is this place he's like yeah three whatever they were at that point three win football team chance to go nowhere and it's sold out they're already making this much noise he's like this he's like if you ever wondered if this place was special here's your proof that this place is yeah. special um and just being down there for that man it was it was like you guys said, for a team that didn't have a lot on the line to re energize the fan base the way you did, get the people in there, and then go win that game. Um, you know, for me, it was even like 20 steps past that. My wife was there with me. My three kids were there with me. First Auburn game, my two year old has been to. I'm pretty sure it's the first Auburn game my five year old had been to. Cause I, it's one thing I tell people all the time, they're like, like some like Chris Childers asked me on Sirius a couple couple months ago, he's like, "If you could go to, you could be off one weekend and go to any stadium, any game, any place." I'm like, "I'd go to Auburn because I don't ever get to go. Like I don't get to take my kids to Auburn games. Like they don't, they, I haven't experienced that with them. So all of that, and then to have my three kids and my wife, who's an Auburn graduate, on the field with me before the game, ain't even close. I yeah. was like, probably my best football memory, maybe I've ever had in my entire life."
1: Yeah. Uh as somebody who films every single one of Cadillac's practices while I was in college as uh the camera nerd, uh it was it was kind of, it was it gave me chills as well too. Um uh, because, you know, I was with those guys at practice at games, at bowl games, you know, for four years. And, you know, we're just three Auburn guys talking to Auburn football right now. But yeah. like, you know, at the end of the day, um, if you haven't been there, um it's hard to put into words how special a place it is. Uh, for so many of us. So I appreciate that perspective. Um, uh, I want to thank Cole Kublik for joining us here on on this week's edition of Building Rapport. Cole, you got a lot of things going on right now. So uh, uh, Mac and Cube, uh, tell the people where they can find you, where they can listen to you. I know you got a new YouTube channel going. Uh, Let us know what you got going on. Uh,
2: McElroy and Kublik in the morning, WJOX in Birmingham, 7 to 10 a.m. weekdays. You can find that at jocksfm.com. Uh, the app is there, search WJOX. You can listen there live wherever you are. Uh, podcasts are also out on that, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, I started kind of my own podcast. I took my old radio show and the the name and the branding with that and turned it into a college football podcast, mainly SEC. Uh, the idea that I had is kind of my takeaways that I do on Sundays on Twitter to just have that as a, in podcast form. Uh, so that is The Cube Show on YouTube. I don't usually ask for subscribers. Please go subscribe. Yeah, uh, Search The Cube Show. It's like a little microphone with a helmet on it. It's a logo because uh, we're pretty low in subscribers right now. I hear like Josh Payton, these guys with their 700,000 subscribers, and I have like 20. So <laughs> I got a lot of work, uh, heavy lifting to do. Uh, but I'm going to try to bring up. college football content every Sunday. Okay. And I'm going to okay. do it throughout the off season because this sports year-round now. We got yeah. Portal. We got coaches moving. We got rosters to talk about, obviously games we can go back and revisit. So we're going to go every Sunday throughout the year. We may have some interviews, different things, go back and talk about specific games, players. But um, it's been fun to do so far, just kind of during the season, I will just blast through every SEC team. What I mm-hmm. saw from the film, X's and O's, kind of hardcore nerd out on that, scheme, what showed up, why they won, why they didn't win. sort of the how and whys of you know, the X's and O's and schematic reasons that teams won and lost, but uh, getting that going, Apple podcast, Spotify as well, trying to sort of build that thing up a little bit.
1: All right. Well guys go subscribe to Cole on YouTube. Look for that uh, microphone symbol. Uh, and help. let's get, let's help a, a fellow Auburn man get going here on YouTube. Well, that's it for another great edition of building rapport guys. If you want more content like this, please hit like and subscribe. We are the War Report on every single social media platform, TW Report on TikTok. We're signing off, and as always, War Eagle. War Eagle.